We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rockpile Report. With Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in the ex's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. The death of, I think, one of the stupidest storylines perpetuated not by this show, but by a lot of other people that um, the Bills can't win close games. And I understand that when there's a lot of hype for somebody and there's a lot of crowning them before they win it all, you look for any kind of foothold in the opinion and take game about with which to bring them down. Stupid. They had 20 straight wins <laughs> of over double digits. And it's like, don't penalize them for just whooping ass week after week. All right? I'm sorry. I'm working blue here, but it's a frustrating take. And also, Josh Allen's career, look, eight fourth quarter comebacks, 11 game-winning drives. That's not in the DNA that they're chokers at the end of the game. Normally, at the end of the game, they're up 20 and 30. That is a good thing. Look, there may be ways to take down this Bills team in the take game. Sure. But uh, but that stupid story, stupid storyline <laughs> about stupid. they can't win close games is stupid. And now it's over because they sat there and kicked a little field goal. And then stupid storyline. <laughs> Done. Done. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rockpile Report podcast. I'm your host, Bill, season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Kruger. And that was borderline turncoat Kyle Brandt from the NFL, NFL Network talking about how the one-score narrative is dead. Is it? Chris, do you remember last week's show? I'm pretty sure I was there for it. Yeah. I... Uh, I just appreciate the fact that now someone hears a guy with good hair say something and they go, no, you know, that makes a lot of sense. When a, when a drunk in a basement screams it at the top of his lungs into a microphone, no one cares. Ooh. When Kyle Brandt says it, all of you listen. Yeah. Like the Bills what, maybe have a composure issue, but I'll tell you what. 
What is, Sunday. It was a one, one, first one-score win in... Well, because we don't win one-score games over the last two years, but what were we in uh, 2019? We won, like, five of them. Exactly. Oh, hey, and also, by the way, I saw today uh, uh, Computer Cowboy Ben Baldwin on Twitter. Uh, Sean McDermott is the league's most, like, aggressive and, like, successfully aggressive coach on fourth down. I like it. What? What? Old school, conservative, never going to win. Like, miss me with all of this. This is our week four recap. The Buffalo Bills 23, the Ravens 20. Here's your stats of the game as I see them. Lamar Jackson, 20 of 29, 68%, 144 yards, one touchdown, two picks, a 63.0 rating. Josh Allen, 19 to 36, 52%. 213 yards, one touch, one interception, a rushing touchdown, 68.4 rating. Bills pass catchers, five drop passes, which are a season high, 89 yards after the catch, a season low. Baltimore wide receiver Rashad Bateman, three dropped passes, benched and saw zero snaps after after his third with seven minutes remaining in the third quarter. Bills linebackers, 22 tackles, 16 solo Four tackles for loss. The Ravens, four of seven on third in the first half, which is 57%, which is aggressive. Two for six in the second half. Chris, if we're going to talk about this, we always start about how we watched the game. That's usually how we start these recaps, how we each individually took the game in. I was at work, and I got a coworker that's from Baltimore, so I was made sure to uh, just rail on him pregame about it. We have a break at one o'clock, and he walked in to our like break area where we got a TV, and I was like, "Oh, you're just in time for the beating the Ravens are about to get." <laughs> and then I told him, "I go at four o'clock. You're going to be sitting here in the break room after having witnessed." the Bills just kick the Ravens' head in, and you're going to go, I haven't seen anything like that since Ray Lewis in Atlanta. But <laughs> I was I was very much wrong, especially on the first drive of the game. Uh, my favorite was that our listener, Jake, Jake and his wife, who we're going to see at the Steelers game this week, they were at the game. Miserable, they said. He's like, literally, we were just there just being lashed by wind and rain. It was a miserable experience. And I asked him, I go, what was the atmosphere inside the stadium like after we kicked the game-winning field goal? Were they stunned or were they upset? And he said, oh, no, they were upset for sure. There was a lot of Bills fans and the Ravens, quote-unquote, fans were very angry. Threats and shouts were very common on the way out of the stadium. It was scary. He goes, I also heard from my son who was watching on TV about the meltdown and shouting match in the Ravens' sidelines. And 
He he says Mickey Rivers, a baseball player in the seventies and eighties, said about just Philly and Baltimore in general. He goes he goes being around these fans and in that stadium reminded me of this saying: "Your clothes just get wrinkled driving by that city." I was like, I'm stealing that whenever we talk about Tonawanda. <laughs> I'm going to steal that and I'm going to use it. But apparently the atmosphere in the stadium was, it was a party right up until it wasn't. Yeah, that was one of the worst starts we've ever had. Me personally, there was no watch party at the gear house. Uh, there was no beer at the gear house. I spent the first half trying to install a light fixture. That's right. At the new house? Nope. At my house. Fixing and replacing a light fixture in my tongue and groove ceiling basement, which someone half-assed when they installed, so I had a nightmare of a time getting the fixture out of the ceiling without destroying it. I missed the pick six, or at least the pick down to the goal line that turned into a touchdown. Like, I missed that. Well, I was getting out of the shower. I went to the gym. I come home. I'm like, this is going to be a nice, relaxing day of Bills football. Before no. I even have underwear on, I'm hearing that the Bills have already been scored on. Oh, Allen threw a pick right off the bat. <laughs> so I immediately changed the boxers I was going to put on and put on my lucky game day boxers. I was like, well, so much for beating superstition, Bruce Nolan. Suck it, nerd. He goes, oh, superstition doesn't matter. Yeah, well, guess what? I put the boxers on after that pick. The, on the Singletary fumble, when that happened, now this light fixture that was stuck kind of in the ceiling, right? My wife's there. My kid's there. He's running around. When that fumble happened, the whole time, I'd gone the whole first half without yelling. Without raising my voice. Now, Chris, now that, 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 does that surprise you? Yeah, it better not be a result of fatherhood. No, it was more just I was preoccupied with the light and not giving the game 100% of my attention. The second I tried to, Singletary fumbled the ball, and this light fixture that was stuck in the ceiling, involuntarily, I hulked it out of the ceiling. <laughs> I just horked it and it just came down and everyone kind of looked at each other like, oh, well, and my wife had this look of terror on her face and I'm like, well, honey, it did. Okay. All right. Everyone calm down. At least no one's yelling. That's a thing. We'll all just get over it. I will fix this. It's going to be great. So then my wife takes my son and my other son because she had dinner plans with her parents that are at her grandmother's house, which is right around the corner from ours. And I was going to stay here and work on this light and just kind of enjoy the Sunday, given how chaotic my weekends have been. I have to hold this light fixture in place. And while I'm doing it, the Poyer interception happens. Can you imagine how fast I dropped that thing, grabbed five beers and ran across the driveway to Todd's house? Yeah. Me and Drunk Todd from across the fence watched the, the end of that football game with his, his cousin and some of his friends. And it was the perfect environment for me to be in, away from my children, away from Because the way that thing came down was bonkers. And afterwards, we celebrated the game. We had shots. Life was grand. 
My favorite moment might have been the video of Diggs telling the fans sitting behind the bench, the Ravens fans, sitting behind the Bills bench, to go the fuck home. That might have been the best part of the whole whole thing. According to Jake, it was a hostile atmosphere post-game, both in the stadium, on the Ravens' sidelines. We're going to see Jake on Sunday. I'm just happy that we left them with that bad taste in their mouth. Because this game could have and very much should have gone the other way. If we're going to recap this thing, I want to start with the Bills' offensive stagnation. We're no longer a dominant offense, are we, Chris? Mm, No, we are. Okay, we are, but what happens? Because, like, like, what is it then? Like, you say we're a dominant offense. What happened in this game? Who's the guy up up front for the Ravens? Is it Calais Campbell? Yeah. Yeah, he was just the... Campbell had a hell of a game. Just the tips at the line. Well, because he's a savvy veteran who's also one of the best. Like, I don't know if he's a Hall of Famer, but he's definitely up there. He'll go down as one of the best that I've watched play that type of defensive tackle. Here's what I know. For another week, this high-octane Bills offense that we all thought we were going to see after the first two weeks sputtered, struggled, and was just sluggish for two and a half quarters of football. It led to me putting out a tweet, basically about the fact that I and I, I pulled up a thing of John uh, Taffer, and I basically said that I've seen a lot of a lot of bad Bills football. I was there for the game where the Bills had a twenty-one point lead in the third quarter, and somehow lost like fifty-two to twenty-eight. I was there for that game, and yet that first half was the biggest freak show I've ever seen. On their first five possessions, the Bills managed to not only spot their opponent 10 points, but had just 68 total yards in the process. Compare that to the Ravens' 81 yards on their first pos- like real offensive possession, and it burns your eyes. Like, if you had a gas leak in your house, or if you were burning styrofoam, or like if a, like, I don't know, someone sets off a flash to, like, someone sets off an explosive too close to you, and the, the, like, the burn of it, you're just like, God, ah! That's what that stat does for me. Do you want a grosser comp, Chris? Because I have one. Always. In my search to see when the last time the Bills sucked that bad in the first half, I I did what any smart Bills fan would do, and I said, well, it's got to be a Dick Duron game because <laughs> those offenses were dog shit. And I kind of just figured, like, okay, he got fired, what, 2009? Something like that, 9-10. Dart throw. I said, okay, 2009. Let's look for an early season game where the score was fairly lopsided. Surely that offense had to be worse than what we saw on Sunday, right? On October 4th, 2009, the Bills lost a road game in Miami 38-10. Looking back over that team's performance, quarterback by Trent Edwards, post-concussion Trent Edwards, their first five possessions culminated in the same number of points, three, and 104 total yards. That includes a zero-yard drive 
because Edwards threw his first of three interceptions on the day on the very first play of the drive. When you compare the opening five drives of that game to the opening five drives of this one, that Dick Duran half-assed embarrassment of an NFL offense that didn't have a highly paid franchise quarterback, didn't have one of the premier wide receivers in the NFL, or an offensive line making an incredible amount of money, moved the football marginally more successfully than the Bills did to start Sunday's game in Baltimore. These guys are a fucking disgrace. That's what I'm saying. The thing that occurred to me in all of this, I'm not even mad, but I'm I'm just seeing things for what they are. Our off-season investments in this offense that we thought would make us one of the NFL's most dynamic, just dynamic attacks out there have by and large been a flop through the first three weeks of the season. O.J. Howard. Remember when he was the tight end that was supposed to be a red zone weapon? We were going to run the best 12 personnel package and we were going to have dynamic running back play, but we could also pass out of this. And but He didn't make the roster. We paid him $3 million at three and a half to go play somewhere else. Tell me that's not a joke. That is. Crowder, the wide receiver who was supposed to take over for the sure-handed replacement veteran option from the slot. Bring that dynamic of what Cole Beasley was. He's been unreliable, unimpactful, and now completely unavailable. Davis, a wide receiver who was we were all banking on taking a step forward in year three after a killer postseason. In the offseason, I said that the Bills needed an, an X receiver because Gabe Davis is at his best when you can line him up in the slot. So far, we haven't done that. We've treated him like wide receiver two, and he's been hurt on top of it. Chris, he's been a non-factor in every single football game since week one. Gabe Davis? Yeah. Yeah, especially when he scored that first touchdown of the season. Yeah. Useless. Since week one, when he hurt himself and missed the Titans game, he hasn't been the same since. He's been a non-factor in any of these games. At a certain point, you either shut him down or he's got to start catching the football. Either you just say, listen, you're nothing but a possession receiver now, or we shut you down for a couple weeks and let you get healthy. Because without that, I... <sighs> Cook, the passing down back. That was going to be the... He, he, was, he was the thing that was going to make up for the fact that we whiffed on uh, J.D. McKissick. In free agency, right? Dynamic threat. Challenge teams to bring their safeties out of the two high looks and back down into the box. He can't find his way to the fucking doghouse. He can't hang on to the football. You can't trust him to run it. You can't trust him to pass it to him. You can't use him then, can you? No. Cromer, Bates, and Saffold. We finally spent some fucking money on our offensive guard play, which we thought, combined with Cromer's coaching and their agility and talent, would make us a more dangerous zone-running team. The hilarious part is the offensive coordinator has decided it's a good idea to run almost double the gap-style runs, then zone runs, 
which completely flies in the face of everything we thought we learned last year, completely limits these players' ability to be impactful. And it's embarrassing now. Like, if you look at Bates and Saffold, if you look at the way they rank in gap blocking, something that we do all of the time, it's eight, they are 84th and 89th in the NFL. There are teams with backups who are better than these two at doing this thing, and our offensive coordinator is still trying to square peg, round hole, this fucking running situation. Does uh, Saffold and Bates not fit into what Cromer wants to do? No, it doesn't fit into what the play caller's calling. When you're designing these runs and when you're designing what you're trying to do with the rushing attack, you look at this and you say, hey, Bates came in and we ran zone and they were good. Saffold is really good. He's an, he's an he's a big athlete. We should let him get out in space. Instead, we've run gap style, which relies on physical strength to move players and create holes. That ain't it. That's not what this team is built to be, and yet we're doing it. Like, obviously, injuries have played a role in some of this. I suppose you can't discount that, but holy shit, through four weeks, this has been a freak show. It's something that the team has to get under control. The offensive coordinator has got to get on the same page as his offensive talent. And I don't understand. Like, maybe things can get better. Right? I'm not being a pessimist. Maybe the insertion of Shakir breathes some fresh life into the offense while we wait for Davis to get healthy. Maybe Cook hits the jugs machine and figures out the fuck to contribute at an NFL level because right now he's a second-round pick who's getting outplayed by guys who were taken in the fifth, sixth, seventh round. Maybe Zach Mo- Okay. <laughs> now that's a joke. Chris, you have a better shot at a hundred yard game than Zach Moss does right now. Yeah, I think we're I think most of Bill's Mafia is collectively done with Zach Moss. <gasps> Lauren had the had the tweet of the day. Lauren C thirty on Twitter says they say a rolling stone gathers no moss, but in Buffalo, a running moss gathers no yards. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good. Now there's no need to panic yet. It's four games. Ken Dorsey is a rookie offensive coordinator who is learning the skill sets that he has at his disposal. We've seen this offense be dominant, and we've seen them choke in the red zone, and we've seen them be whatever the fuck they were for two and a half quarters on Sunday. But something has to give here, and fast, because they're producing on, like, what they're producing on offense here on a weekly basis won't sustain you against the NFL's best teams. And a few of them are coming up on the horizon. It's going to take some real, honest-to-God brainstorming, some reevaluation, some coming to Jesus by this offensive staff. They need speed, they need creativity, and they need more execution. And right now, I'm not even going to pretend like I know who can give it to them. I don't get paid to do that. I get paid to drink these beers and talk shit with you guys every single week about the job that they do. That might not be fair, but them's the fucking breaks. So in that way, Sunday was a bitter disappointment, and yet the Bills are still fucking three and one. (laughs) Chris, they destroyed my optimism for what the Bills offense is going to be this year, and they still won the game. Not because of anything the other units did. 
right? Anything our offensive coordinator did, although Dorsey did show a little bit of adaptation late in the game, there was that one really nicely designed play. Like, he started calling legitimate screens. Like, Khalil Shakir, two catches, 23 yards, two first downs. Tell me that his insertion didn't give them life. Yeah, give them a little little extra juice. Because it's speed. It's legitimate speed, physical talent. Stop deferring to guys like Zach Moss. Look at the guys who are freaks on your team. Aren't they doing the work? Aren't they getting things done for you? Then defer to them. Yeah. Figure out ways to use them instead of just marginalizing them because, well, he's a rookie. There was also some nicely designed plays called. Like, I don't know where this was all game, but that uh, third down conversion to Knox for 20 yards, that happens because they dial up what is an impossible situation for a defense. They have Diggs coming up the sideline and then cutting in. Diggs makes his in-cut as Dawson Knox is breaking up the seam, and now the safety only has one choice. Do I bite? on trying to help because there's no way Diggs is too good of a route runner. My corner is not going to, even Marcus Peters can't cover him on an in-breaking route like that. Do I drop down and try to take away Diggs or do I stick with Dawson Knox and prevent him from getting over the top on us? It, it's a damned if you're dude, damned if you don't type situation and it's one of those play calls where he had to, you could tell he was desperate because he dug to something that finally worked. I need to see more of that. But the reason that this all came around and that we're three and one is because of Josh Allen. This offense is 100% Josh Allen. Now, is that frustrating to you, Chris? No. It should always revolve around the quarterback. How? Let me ask you this. Is there ever going to be another player that you were so wrong about? I don't know. Trey <laughs> White. Yeah, that did come on. No, I don't. <laughs> no. That, I mean, that was bad. Ramon Foster? Ruben Foster. Ruben Foster. You don't even know the names of the people that play for Alabama. Ruben Foster. <laughs> I'm fine with the ball going through Josh as much as it, it, as it does. I will. I would like to have lesser designed Josh Allen runs. <laughs> I'd like to have a more a running game more established where he can turn around, hand it to somebody who finds a hole, and goes in there deep. Yeah, but <laughs> we don't have that. We no. don't have that. But so that's why it, it's funny because last week our guest, Ken McCusick, who I, I respect, who I genuinely enjoy, made a comment about a Lamar Jackson edges out Josh Allen in terms of talent. And as our buddy Iman pointed out, I let it slide like a pro. But on Sunday, there's no hiding from it. You saw a battle of two MVP candidate quarterbacks that were essentially getting no help from their skill players. As evidenced by Andrew's absurd, what, one catch for six yards? I don't know how that didn't make the stats of the week. One catch for six yards. And in fact, if anything, he should get a negative yardage stat because he got called for OPI. (laughs) 
Like, that's it. And then one of their first-round wide receivers had to be benched early in the third quarter. That's fucking wild. So neither of them were getting any help from anyone around them. It was a day that needed each team's brightest star to be their best and just find a way to will their team to victory. And in that way, it was fitting that, well, like our guy made mistakes early and struggled to get everybody working in concert. When the game was on the line and in the clutchest of moments, it was Josh Allen, who, as we keep saying, as Rich Eisen said, he just became inevitable. Well, it was Lamar Jackson who crumbled in the face of adversity. That's MVP shit right there. Yeah. Br- brought to you by the man who is right now the betting favorite for NFL MVP, Josh fucking Allen. Yeah, because Lamar is not, he's still learning to be a pocket passer. And no team knows how to make him do that better than the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, yeah, they just. We know it. We have his number. God. Well, I think. Because he got he got released today, right? Because we we weren't calling him up. Tavon Austin, I heard heard played Lamar in practice this week. Mm-hmm. And then we cut him. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, hey, thanks for doing that. Josh Allen outplayed the guy that people, by and large, are like, well, you know, look at Lamar. He's so good. He's so good. He's so good. Who's good now? Crack that guy in Montucky. On the other side of the ball, the Bills' defensive rebirth is the opposite of what the Bills were early. It's like if we're talking about the Bills not not dominant, just different, we're talking about still dominant and different. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We've gotten used to seeing the Bills be this dominant defense, but for most of McDermott's career, it's come on the back of smothering coverage that bought its defensive line time. I was talking to a friend at work about how last season you believed the offense could cover up so many of the team's warts, and most weeks you were right. The pendulum has swung. And if there's anything about the 2022 Bills I'd be willing to hang my hat on, just just a thing to be rock solid week in and week out, it's the play of our defensive line. When you're missing your defensive tackles in Olivers and Phillips, who cares? The guys behind them will just fucking roll. 
Daquan Johnson had a sack for the first time this season and was just everything against the run that we wanted Starla Tulele to be. Tim Settle, Brandon Bryant, and the rookie Prince Amelie were impressive. Batting passes, grading highly against the run, ultimately just eating space and keeping Baltimore's offensive line from getting to the second level with any kind of regularity. And it's it's crazy when you look at the like the key pivotal moments of the game. Here are these young, unheralded players on the defensive line. Poyer's first interception of the game. Prince Amelie is the guy who knew that, hey, I'm not getting penetration. Watch the quarterback's eyes and time the jump. He bats the ball in the air. You watch that play, he 100% knew what he was doing. On Milano's red zone tackle for loss at the end of the game that sets up the ill-fated interception in the end zone, it's not Von Miller. It's not Greg Rousseau or some other household name stacking fullback Patrick Ricard and driving him backwards out of the play, clearing a path for Milano to come downhill on Dobbins in the backfield. It's Brandon fucking Bryant off the practice squad. Chris, is it crazy to see how much our defensive tackle depth has changed in a single offseason? Yeah, it's just straight up coaching. Years past, it would have been a disaster to have our not our not only our starter, but the backup three tech out. And instead, we are thumping run heavy football teams with the epitome of practice squad players. That has to mean something, doesn't it? Of course it does. When you look at the depth we have and then you look at everybody else, it kind of makes them look like peasants, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. You got a question like, what the fuck has your coaching staff been working on? <laughs> what the fuck are you guys doing? Doing coke. <laughs> Dolphins. Nice job. Is that why they call it dolphin dandruff? Never heard it called that before. Really? Yeah. I mean, my uncle did... Cocaine, and that's all I know it as. It's just cocaine. That's it? Yeah. God, that's boring. I've heard uh, for Coke, cocaine, Colombian rowdy powder, which happens to be my favorite name for it, like rowdy powder. That's exactly what that is. Uh, Dolphin dandruff. I've also heard a couple. There's a couple others floating around out there. Tweet in at Rock Power Report <laughs> your is, slang terms for cocaine. Your regional term for cocaine. Like, I just want to hear what they are because it's hilarious. But either way, this team is rolling with depth. And then you look at the defensive ends. Baltimore's game plan was to wash them out of plays and run to the vacated spots. <clears throat> it failed because they kept their blockers occupied. In the middle of the line, our defensive ends didn't let them get away, and it, it left our linebackers wide open to just scream around the field making plays. And they also found ways to consistently harass Jackson and keep him from ever settling into the pocket and getting into a rhythm. It started with Vaughn early. Vaughn got that sack, that third down, just chase down. Yeah. And they were like, oh, well, we got a slide protection to Vaughn's side. And you kind of heard the defensive ends go quiet for a half. 
coming out of halftime, they were just like, listen, we're not going to, we're going to bend the pocket at the edges and then cheat across the tackle's face. Spin move, just a rip, whatever you have to do, we're going to bend the pocket and make him feel safe and then give him backside pressure and let him get nervous. And he's not going to throw the ball. He's going to tuck it and try to move and it's going to disrupt all of their passing game. Like, it worked to a degree that Chris, it ha- it better have been planned and hopefully wasn't an accident because if not, like maybe I'm giving the coach except way too much credit. But you watched it. They muddied the waters, got their hands around Jackson, and he just was uncomfortable and threw a ton of checkdowns in that second half. Did he? Did, do you remember a single pass where he threatened our defense down the field? No. There's the one. The one where we should have had him for a sack. And he somehow climbed out of three different players and then threw a ball that got tipped and then circus caught on the sideline. I didn't even have words for that play. Just a noise, just like a guttural. <laughs> like that's, that's all I could say about that play. But otherwise, he had nothing down the field, and it's because of the job our defensive line did. The ripple effect was a pair of monster days from our linebacker core. The defensive plan you could see from Frazier was to keep all of the play in front of the linebackers and not allow yards after the catch. And it worked. I mean, they allowed 100% completion percentage. The linebackers did. 74 total yards and just 38 yards after the catch. Would you say that you would you would trade your, your linebackers letting teams catch the ball, but we know we're going to tackle you solid and you're not getting another yard? versus you freelancing, getting desperate, trying to break up plays like Trayvon Diggs and the Cowboys, and maybe giving up a big play. No, no, I like what our linebackers do. Fuck yeah. Just three first downs when targeted? Yeah. The defense as a whole only give up 74 yards of yak, and that is the crux of the Baltimore offense once you take Mark Andrews out of the equation the way we did. So far, no defense was able to do that this season. To the, to the Baltimore Ravens. Not a single one. At least not without exposing themselves to Jackson's legs or just the yards after catch creation ability of Bateman, Duvernay, their running backs. Leslie Frazier, this was a master class for him in just showing, like, Chris, do we have to worry that he's not going to be here next year? Who, Leslie Frazier? Mm-hmm. How many more years can he field defenses that do shit like this against some of the, like, again, one of the most unorthodox offenses in football? And he says, you know what? I put the smack down on it. I have it figured out. Uh, I'll tell you. It's very easy. This is an offensive league. So when it comes time for new coaching hires, people are going to go offense. Very rarely will they go defense. Just look at last year's coaching hires. How's it working out in Chicago for a defensive head coach? Eberflus has been kind of a flop. That's fair. Yeah. That is fair. You want to get an offensive head coach and a sweet quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. Very rare do you get a situation that we're in. What I like is that they were able to do things statistically that no team's been able to do to the Ravens. The Ravens had scored 14, 10, and 23 second-half points. 
over the course of the first three games. We not only held them to zero points in the third and fourth quarters, preserving Buffalo's third quarter shutout streak, which is crazy. Isn't that absurd? Remember when I had to buy steak dinner because the Bills outplayed somebody finally in the third quarter? Yeah, now we're those halftime adjustments. Now we make. nobody scores. We don't let you on the board in the third quarter. But if you take away the opening drive pick six and look at just the offensive production, the 13 points that the Ravens scored is their lowest output. Like, not pick six, but just like the pick that set them up for it and take away the fumble, right? Because this is it. Like, the pick set them up for a very easy thir- like a very easy touchdown to start the game. Take that out. The 13 points they scored is their lowest output with Lamar Jackson at the helm since week 10, Miami last year. If I want to be a dick and say, hey, take that fumble on our own side of the field out of the equation too. Let's see what they did on their own merit when we punted or kicked off the ball to them on their own end of the field. They scored 10 points on offense of their own machination. Tying a record for the second lowest total of a Jackson-led offense since Buffalo bounced them out of the playoffs in 2020, 17-3. Imagine trying to explain to somebody that the Bills would suffer the injuries that they currently have at cornerback. You're missing a Pro Bowl caliber free safety, Pro Bowl uh, all-pro cornerback, two of your starting defensive tackles, significant pair of defensive backs with no NFL experience, like like your snaps are eaten up by literal rookies or guys who don't have any time in the NFL, and they would put up that type of performance, you would tell me I was fucking hammered, wouldn't you? 100%. We're talking about a quarterback who's picking up steam as an MVP candidate. I said that I agreed with that assessment last week, considering what the spirit of MVP is supposed to mean in terms of not only being highly productive, but also weighing the role that that player means to the overall success of the team. And the Bills' defense forced three punts and kept Baltimore off the scoreboard in a way that nobody else has been able to so far for an entire half of football in 2022. And another thing that stood out to me because I'm petty and I commit shit like this to memory. Do you remember the the draft warbling last year between Greg Rousseau and Otafio Way? I I forget what his name was pre-draft, but he decided much like uh, Shaq Leonard is no longer Shaq Leonard. I just changed his name. Dekeel now. He's Dekeel Leonard or whatever it is. I, I, I'm, I'm just saying. These guys change their names. I'm not trying to keep up with it. Greg Rousseau against Oway. And everyone said, well, the Bills took the wrong guy. Greg Rousseau, solid if not unspectacular game. But it was interesting to s- just seeing him on the same field as Oway now. The edge player who last season was flashing as a pass rusher and had some of you talking about this narrative. But you could see the difference in their games on Sunday, and it cements that the Bills took the right guy. Owe made plays, right? He forced a fumble. He had a sack. He was credited with six pressures. But Rousseau wasn't a slouch. He had five pressures of his own and a sack and was a force against the run and in run blocking. 
Like, just run defending. Repeatedly open lanes for the linebackers to knife into the backfield off the edge on plays that were going off tight end or off tackle and just snuff out the play before they could get a sizable gain. At the same time, when you talk about pressures, because everyone's like, well, always a pass rusher and Rousseau has... Always pressures resulted in Allen just stiff-arming him and juking away. (laughs) Just en route to either running the ball or dumping it off to somebody else and basically avoiding a negative play. And he wasn't great against the run, except on the one play like where he wasn't supposed to be. You remember that? No. Oway might have blown the game for his team. Head coach John Harbaugh told the media that the message he gave the team was to let Buffalo score if you can't force an easy turnover. Let them in the end zone. Preserve the clock. We'll hold final serve. From the reactions of Calais Campbell, Marlon Humphreys, Marcus Williams, they all got the message. So it had to be real frustrating. I mean, we saw Marcus Peters trying to yell. He was screaming at the coach. And people shoving each other on the sidelines. That kind of frustrating. When, as Devin Singletary on that like play is just barreling towards the end zone, always the guy who comes from the opposite hash to tackle him to the ground and set up Josh Allen to steal a football game. How... How pissed would you be if you were a Raven? If you were like, if that was Greg Rousseau and he did that in a bill, like to the Bills? Yeah. You'd be pissed, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah. Meanwhile, when he was interviewed post game and asked what he saw in the, the red zone interception, the media goes, Lamar, what did you see on that red zone pick? Lamar Jackson responded, a big, tall defensive lineman with his hands up. And I'm trying to see the routes develop. And if I could have seen Duve earlier, it could have been a touchdown. Do you know who that big, tall defensive lineman was, Chris? Greg Russo. (laughs) In that way, did we or did we not make the right call? For this game, yeah. Remember Bruce Nolan? Yeah, he wouldn't have. He wouldn't have fan. Oh, remember that audio clip before that when we did the summit of the smart people before the draft? Oh he yeah, he was like, "Oh, don't, don't, don't wish Greg Rousseau on me." I wonder what tune he's singing now. Yeah, we'll have to get him on and uh, and discuss that. I don't know. I was just I was impressed as hell with this team's second half on defense. I mean, that's the stuff that wins you a Super Bowl, isn't it? It should. That's the stuff that makes you a force in the NFL. When you go into the locker room and you say, okay, we saw what they have. Fuck these guys, they don't get another one. It it was some remember the Titans type shit where he's like, they don't get another yard. And that's the end. We did it to them. We took everything they had away. And yes, some luck was involved. Yes, but isn't that football? That's the game, isn't it? It is. And I'll tell you what, if we want to talk about who had a big game, I'd love to name Greg Russo hero of the game, but there's somebody else I'd like to point out. That brings us to this week's Hero and Zero. The hero of the game is linebacker Matt Milano. Here's the deal. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I piss excellence, and nobody can hang with my stuff. Uh, you know, I'm just a, just a big, hairy American winning machine. 
Moana was everywhere. He was every single thing you would have wanted from a Buffalo Bills defender. You watch him. Everything he like he was in on every single play. He in the goal line, right? Let's start there. Because that's the big play. He fires around the offensive line. Brandon Bryant takes out the fullback, so there's no lead blocker. There's a mass. He paves the way. Matt Milano flies in. Tackle for loss on second and goal from the one. Pushes him back to the three-yard line. En route to Poyer's end zone interception to save the game. He's all over Mark Andrews in coverage. So Mark Andrews really doesn't see a ton of targets. Open field tackle of Lamar Jackson that 9 of 10 times ends up broken and Lamar Jackson is running around through someone's secondary. Were you surprised by the lack of plays with his legs Lamar was able to make? No, because I've, I've always thought that the Bills were pretty good at containing him on his legs and keeping him in the pocket. Matt Milano this week got challenged. Legitimately challenged to go one-on-one. <laughs> one-on-one in a phone booth. And he won that battle. He also had eight run stops. Next highest on the team was two. When this defensive line is playing as well as they are, you still need someone to come in and clean up the garbage. I would say that if I had an honorable mention, I'd give it to Tremaine Edmonds because he was also ferocious in just shutting down all everything around the line of scrimmage that the Ravens wanted to do. But Matt Milano is just, in terms of who he covers and when, like when you look at the stats, PFF only targets when you get thrown at, right? Yeah. They're like, well, your coverage stats, well, how many times did you get thrown at? Well, look at Kyrie Elam. How many times has he been thrown at? Not a bunch. It tells you he's doing his job. He's, he's taking away players, and quarterbacks go, I can find another matchup. The fact that Andrews had so little production is kind of a, it's a nod to the fact that the whole secondary did, but Matt Milano is the one who paves the way for that. Because he doesn't let him get off the blocks clean. And at that point, Lamar Jackson's already going to his second read, his third read. We know Andrews is the straw that stirs the drink. Milano made sure he was a non-factor for giant portions of the game. And then he also played the run. Didn't Brett Coleman tell us a couple years ago uh, in a a preview for the Chiefs that he did? He said Matt Milano might be his favorite linebacker to watch because he's never seen a linebacker be able to line up so deep in the tackle box Come downhill that fast and pick the right running lane every single time and just fill and just tackle for a loss. So he can, he's already set up to stop you as a passer. Like then he can come downhill if you choose to dump it off or try to hand it off. He was one of the key reasons we were able to turn the tide against these guys in that second half. And then just the zero of the week. If I have to give it out, it's any running back not named Devin Singletary. You folks fell on your face. You get an F minus in my book. I look at Devin Singletary and I say, okay, 49 yards on 11 touches. It's 4.9 yards per carry. It's pretty good. That's pretty good. You had an 18-yard run. You also had 47 yards receiving. That's pretty nice. I'll take that. 
Do you know what we got out of the rest of the running back group, Chris, statistically? I would say no more than 11 yards. Even that is being generous. Zach Moss had three carries for six yards. Nice. James Cook, one target, no catches. Any any carries? No! Like, what are we using him for? Why is he here? Why is Moss here? Like, everyone goes, well, he's our best pass protector. Who gives a fuck? At this point, if you're keeping a running back on the field just to pass, I would rather have Reggie Gilliam do that. Do you think Reggie Gilliam can pass protect? Pretty sure he can. Okay. Then why the fuck is Zach Moss out here? And I argue the same for uh, James Cook. Now, I don't know who you have to fire into the sun, but one of these two has to go. Duke Johnson, a guy on our practice squad, like, the guy has had multiple 100-yard rushing games in the NFL. I want to know exactly what this team sees in practice that makes them think that Zach Moss is worth more than that guy. Like, what do you think it is? Do you, do you think he, like, lollygags? I do don't you know. Think he, uh, did, did he make a pass at McDermott's wife? Like, what happened? Something happened here. Because they have a running back with a proven track record of success. They've got a running back who has literally done nothing at the NFL level over the course of now three seasons, and yet they continue to put him on the field. I don't understand it. I can't wrap my head around it. It's it's ridiculous. I feel like Jackie Childs. Ridiculous? Preposterous? <laughs> yeah. They're terrible backs. I mean, granted, I don't think we've given James Cook a real shot because, you know what, he fumbled on his first carry. Stop fucking up! Stop dropping the football. Like, I don't know what this kid needs. I'll tell you what I think he might need. Well, he, doesn't, he might need he doesn't some get, time he doesn't, in practice. He doesn't get enough touches. He fumbled once, his first ever carry, and now he's in the doghouse and he's not allowed to do anything. So then, okay, so is the answer benching Zach Moss and putting James Cook in at running back two? Give those three carries for six fucking yards that you gave to Zach Moss and give them to James Cook? I think it's you uh, demote Zach Moss. And don't we have Duke Johnson on the practice squad? Did I or did I not just say that? I wasn't listening to you. Of course you weren't. No. God, I fucking hate you. No, I was not listening to you. You better shut up and drink this Seagram's. Oh, yeah. We haven't done that yet. Give me that Seagram's. Yeah. Just for your sass? Yeah. Shut up and drink. Oh, my God. You picked the. Oh, you picked your favorite. I don't have a favorite. Yeah, you do. You see that? Yeah, Peach Bellini. I got my feet up on my desk, and you just tossed it to me, and I caught it like a real athlete. I should be in for James Cook. (laughs) Hell, my number... My number... My number for hockey is 28. I'll, I can put on a 28 and make plays. God. So while you drink that, what I'm going to say is this. In this offense, 
They clearly wanted more production from this running back group, and we're not getting it right now. It's embarrassing. It's terrible. And we have to find a way around it because it's to a detriment of the entire offense. You're you're wasting. Like, let's look at this. So you gave Zach Moss three, let's see, no targets, three touches, one target. So four snaps, which doesn't seem like a lot, but that's an entire possession if you don't do it well. You focus on those two guys too much, you could just be punting the football. So with that in mind, the Bills have to find a way to get dynamic at this position and quickly. Singletary is doing he's doing what he can. He's doing what he can, but he's not a special running back. I think he's NFL average. I think he is and eh, that's maybe not fair. He's slightly better than average. How much of a pay bump are you going to give him next year? Oh, uh, you're not. <laughs> you're not because you don't pay a running back at all in this system and definitely not when they're this. In fact, if anything, you 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 take them all together, you stick them on a pyre, you burn them at the stake, and you pray to the gods that one falls to you in the draft. That's what you do. That's <laughs> what we've done the last three years. Yeah, how's that worked out? I don't know. So if we can't... If we, at if, a certain point, do we start to worry that our front office just can't evaluate... Much like guard play. Yeah. Do we start to worry that our front office can't evaluate running backs properly? You know Because I'll tell you what. No, no. You, you know, know who someone, they should... Uh, they should Ryan Lasel from Rock Sports Network made a great point that Zach Moss is only here because this front office badly missed their evaluation of what Devin Singletary is. Singletary can get you short yardage. He's better at it than Zach Moss. You thought you needed this tough, low center of gravity. But what? but so then, instead of taking J.K. Dobbins, you drafted this guy, Zach Moss, in the third round, and said, well, he's going to be the same thing. Yeah. He has not been. Then you said, well, James Cook. He doesn't really have a lot of experience running out of a backfield traditionally, but we'll get him in space and we'll throw him the football. He's probably not expecting the fact, like, he had Stetson Bennett. The kid's named after a fucking hat. How hard does he throw the football? I thought he was (laughs) named after the cologne. Either one is dog shit. Like, the cologne is more embarrassing. (laughs) Chris, you're a cologne connoisseur. Yeah, I got like 25 colognes. Would you ever be caught dead wearing Stetson? No. <laughs> I feel like Stetson is being sprayed around like stoner college kids dorm rooms as we speak. Like that's what they spray around their room to try to not let the RD know that they're smoking weed in their room. James Cook is bad. <laughs> he's bad. And he's used to a kind of a limp arm quarterback throwing him footballs. He's not used to decisive on point. You better fucking catch this football. And it's it's not going his way. And it's limiting his ability to even get experience. Maybe we missed the mark on that evaluation, too. No, we haven't given him enough time. Okay. well, meanwhile, Singletary is the only guy who's worth a shit right now. I would pay to see anybody else. Is it Duke Johnson time? I would. So you're you're done with um 
I'm done with somebody. It's like Survivor. I don't care who. I'm Jeff Probst. This is Survivor. I don't care who you vote off the island, but you better. But somebody's got to go. So I, I want to make sure that you're you're off of James Cook. I'm off of everybody. Right. I'm off of everybody. Give me a meaningful running back. Everyone not named Devin Singletary. I will see you in hell. All right. So let's make this clear. Yep. Um, I see you taking notes. I'm not taking notes. So based on your, I don't know, your evaluation. (laughs) Which we all know is top flight. Yes. You, you know, Drew Gear knows whether or not a running back is worth a shit after... 13 rushing attempts, and uh, this doesn't have targets, but he had four catches in Miami. So really less than 20 touches, you know, if a running back is worth a shit. I don't know if he's worth a shit. The problem is that we're not going to get to find out because he sucks every time you give him the opportunity. He's seeing, he's pressing. He's doing the things that rookies do. They're, he's pressing. He's trying to find a way to make an impact. And he's so hell-bent on that that he's not doing the small things that you have to do when you're just confident in what you're doing. Chris, if it's your first day on the job. If it's my first day on the job at where I work. Yeah. I was the best at what I do. <laughs> Within six hours. I was the best. Out of the box. Suck it. All right. So you have that level of confidence. Yeah. Some people don't. Some Sometimes it doesn't go that well for people. It's not going well for James Cook right now. Well, It, it doesn't mean he's a bust. It just means that right now I need my running back room to give me something so that Josh Allen isn't the only guy moving the football on the ground. But, so that there's an option besides Devin Singletary who has actual speed. I would love for James Cook to prove me wrong, but he's not. What he's doing is... Every time he gets put in the game, he's a liability in some way, shape, or form. The kid needs time to unfuck himself. And if they need to bench him for two games in order for him to get that, maybe that's it. Just practice, work with the jugs machine, and then show up here against the Chiefs and maybe have a game. I don't know what I don't I don't know what you need. I don't know. But I need to see something from our running back position this year because our offensive linemen are already being misused. You're going to tell me our running backs are too? That doesn't give me a lot of hope for the rest of the season. Final thoughts. Chris, if you have them before we move on to week five. No, I don't really have many final thoughts. It's a win. Good to see a comeback. That one score narrative died immediately on Sunday. We beat a good team. We're going to need that win later in the season for tiebreakers. Let's uh, get back to what we did against the Rams and the Titans and play full, complete games on offense. Earlier in the show, I was going off about how this was an all-time terrible offensive start for the Buffalo Bills. And whether you think I'm being a pessimist, a dick, just a bloviator, There's no way you can tell me with a straight face you liked the first 30 minutes of football the Bills played. 
after that Singletary fumble, I like because mm-hmm. I would go do my job and then come back to our break room and stand there for like five to seven minutes and watch some of the game. And I happened to be in the break room when Singletary fumbled and I walked out like, nope, nope. <laughs> I'm going to go find something else to do with my day. Nope. I'm going to, I will, I have a break at three o'clock, which is essentially right around when the second half begins. And then I was forced to watch about a half hour of it at three o'clock. And then I, at that point I bought in that the comeback was on. And mad that I should have live bet that game. You watched that first half. It was miserable. It was frustrating. It was sad. You throw a Fran Drescher laugh and an inability to back a car up properly, and I would have sworn it was Chris's (laughs) ex-girlfriend. And yet here we are. Talking about being three and one, Chris. Tell me that her hitting that fire hydrant wasn't the fucking best. It was hilarious. <laughs> We're three and one, heading home for a game against the Steelers, featuring a rookie quarterback and a defense missing probably its best players. The thing about this football team that has left me overwhelmingly impressed has been that for all the things that I've blown up about at the top of the show, all of the things that haven't matriculated, that haven't worked out, haven't come together, how much water we're seeing rookies and second, third-year type players carry for this football team right now. It would be hard to argue that anyone in the NFL has done a better job training young defensive talent than Frazier and McDermott. During his post-game press conference, Leslie Frazier was asked about it, and he said, we as a Bills franchise pride ourselves on the preparation of our young players. It would be hard to argue that anybody has done it as well as them, correct? Yeah. Now, I don't want to mince words here. The Bills have an identity crisis. They don't know who they want to be right now. The team that they thought they put together in the offseason has it's changed. It's crumpled. It's, 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 it's like when you take a ball of tinfoil and you crush it a little bit. That's what this offense or at least the idea of what they thought they were supposed to be, is right now. And injuries to their most impactful players aren't going to help. They're going to reevaluate their game plans, shuffle the roster, and dig, praying that somebody, Shakir, Cook, Hodgins, a free agent or a trade target to be named later, that somebody steps forward in practice and then on the fields on Sundays. And while the offense figures out exactly what its 2022 identity is going to be, they've still managed to show us that even when depleted, they are a fucking force to be reckoned with because we've got the MVP. Not an MVP candidate, but the MVP. A guy who, when he's locked in, it just feels like he could take the Depew Wildcats out there 
<laughs> to a football field against the Ravens and go score a game-winning touchdown if he had to. That drive was a thing of beauty. Fuck the penalty. Everyone's going to go, well, the penalty. There were penalties both ways. James Bogger, Jerome Bogger sucks as a referee. He's one of the league's worst. It went both ways over the course of the game. We got the call at the right time, but also Josh Allen got us to a point where we could get the call. And when this team gets healthy... When on defense, we have a a cornerback room has an all-pro to add with this pair of physical athletic rookies and experienced third-year player in Dane Jackson. When our defensive tackle room adds two dominant pass rushers at three-tech, back to the rotation. When your wide receivers are healthy and your offensive coordinator figures, just figures out how to utilize these zone-blocking offensive linemen. To quote that Nike commercial starring Dennis Hopper, bad things, man. Bad things. Guys, we're a winner this week. So we celebrate with a case and a half of Montucky. Yeah, we're going to need uh, we'll need Terry White to DM us because I'm sure he's going to want to try Seagram's at the tailgate. So let me know what flavor you want and I'll pick it up. He also wants to try Moosehead. Yeah. We're, we we can have him taste tested against Montucky. Montucky's more drinkable. Yeah. They're all very good, except Seagram's. Yeah, except the Seagram's. The Seagram's are terrible. I'm happy I didn't have to drink one today. Yeah, well, you still haven't finished that. No. I'm full. I've had five beers since uh, one o'clock today. Five beers since one? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> We're working on thirteen right now. Yeah, I don't know how you. I don't know how you do it. The beer is just so filling. Yeah, it fills it's up real hard. It's a hard knock life being Drew Gear. Yeah, it's also a hard knock life being a hardcore Bills fan trying to watch this team and like feeling you need to will them to victory. Hopefully, they don't leave us with a nail butter this week. We have our upcoming preview show. We've got an AFC's roundup coming out this week, so make sure you tune into the rest of our podcast. But for tonight, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. This has been your Rock Pile Report. I don't know how you can't drink a dozen beers. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.